Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Minute with Mark. So I had this idea one night that I would reach out to a handful of really, really faithful listeners of this podcast and say, what do you want me to talk more about? And so I've reached out to a few people and just said, shoot me a voice memo, five minutes, and just ramble on stuff you'd like me to address that I haven't addressed before or uh, elaborate on some stuff that you know I've touched on in the past. And so I just started doing it, and one of the common themes that I'm getting back is thoughts on copywriting. Copywriting, in, an, in a sense, is when you type. Now, here, here's the difference between writing and copywriting. Okay, ready for this? Writing is typing a string of words in sentences and people read them. Now, the, the result may be they feel love, or if it's a romance novel, romance, or if it's a drama novel, drama, or if it's a sci-fi, they feel a sense of wonder and fantasy. Copywriting has all of that, but the trick is the difference between typical writing and copywriting is similar to stage speaking when I've asked people, because they say you're a public speaker, that I've been asked if I'm a public speaker, and I guess, well, I've spoken public, so maybe I am. But what I've taught a handful of people um, who are speaking on stage and ending with a purchase or a call to action to buy something, I say, you've got to set in your mind right now when you walk on that stage that when you walk off it, your intention is not to have a room full of smiling people giving you high fives. It's a room full of people giving you $5,000 each, which I've done many times. Now, here's the difference. Writing, just to have good writing means, oh, I'm entertained. I'm being, it's a page turner, these kind of things. What I'm talking about with copywriting is that people read the words and they are so compelled by what's written that they not only feel something, they feel something to a brim point that it overflows into taking out their credit card and buying to get even more information. So long ago, um, I had a couple teachers that said I should be a writer. Um, and it was a great compliment to me. Uh, one of my, really one of my hero teachers said they thought I'd be the next Clive Staples Lewis, which is C.S. Lewis, which I thought was just way over the top. But it was, it was powerful, and it was actually um, not maybe a recognition of a little bit of a gift, but it was as much, it was like, wow, I, it gave me a lot of self-image. And so the power, if you're in an authority role or a teacher role, to be able to say, I could see you be something like the next XYZ or this or that. Some people say that puts too much pressure on a kid. Um, I think it can define a kid and really call them up into who they can become. Well, anyway, with writing, I thought I kind of wanted to be a writer and I was enchanted by the idea of writing. But then I asked myself this question. And I want you to just toy with this a lot of times because the starving artist, the starving writer, it's, it's just standard. And I thought to myself, if I wrote a book and someone paid, you know, seven to 10 bucks for it, and then they read it, and they felt warm, and they felt good, and they felt a little educated, and they felt this or that. Um, that's a valid thing. I'm not saying that's not a, a real achievement. It's a good achievement. It's valuable. But then I, I contrasted that by saying, what if I wrote something, and someone read it, and then they, they were so 
ramped in curiosity and so edgy to get deeper into this concept that they'd pay $1,000 or they'd pay $10,000 to simply get the key to open the door to more. I thought personally in myself that that skill of having an instant response, having catnip reaction to the writing would actually be a far bigger challenge resonating to my ergonomic spirit, just like what would work better with my spirit is really what would be more gratifying is if somebody purchased, because I looked at purchase as an extension of their livelihood. Money is an extension of somebody's life. They are putting their sweat, their blood at times, their time. They are, they are trading their life for the service that happens, but also the money. Okay, this phone is not stopping. Not sure how to stop it anyway. But anyway, um, they are trading their life to purchase that product. So my thought was versus having what's kind of like this idea that money's dirty or getting wealthy is like maybe immoral or this or that. My my take and where I kind of landed from an ethical, moral standpoint is to create an environment where somebody deeply is willing and wanting to trade their money because they believe the money is less value than the product or service obtained, I thought was a very high and holy and sacred calling. And what I found out was that I didn't want to be one-on-one selling. In fact, the idea of one-on-one selling intimidated me, and I'm just going, I'm going to share a little bit here, just this is my personal thought. Um, pers- you know, my life, I, I've just had a little bit of charisma just kind of like sprinkled into my DNA. I didn't, it's happened from the time I was in first grade. There was little groups of kids that would get around me that wanted to know what I thought about what we should do for recess or what we should do. I mean, I didn't do this. It was just part of my fabric. So selling one-on-one intimidated me because I was concerned that my charisma might tilt the scale for them to create a purchase, even if they didn't understand what they were buying or saying yes to something just because I said it was a good idea. And I, I actually didn't like that, which I don't know if that's a weird thought, but that's where I was at. It made me uncomfortable. Now, the idea of writing, meaning my face isn't present, my voice isn't present, it's just the tele, tele really the tele, holy shit, I can't even speak, telepathy of, it's just telepathy. You know, you're typing, they're reading, and you're really guiding their mind in a big way. So, is there any value? I'm kind of rambling here. This stuff's a little deep and a little meta, but we'll get, we'll get to someplace valuable, I I'm quite confident. But what I realized is if I could type something, that thing could live and that that word could live on and it could also make me money over and over and over and over and over and over and recreate that telepathy a year from the time it was written, 30 days from the time it was written. And that was an enchanting thought. I felt that that influence was a lot more permanent I felt that there was a lot more value. I felt like I could make a lot more money also if I was able to sell um, without my personal presence being involved, which would open up all sorts of lifestyle opportunities, which it has, which I'm very grateful for. Um, so 
these are just food for thoughts. A couple other things on writing that was huge for me before I share some books on copywriting that helped form my understanding because copywriting is a skill. Absolutely, I'm not sure it's anything you're you're really born with. Uh, you might be born with being just a naturally good communicator or writer, but actually being able to have other people check off all the preconditions required for them to throw money to purchase something, that's a learned, I, I think it's more learned than it's something that's natural. So one of the things that changed my life was Rich Dad Poor Dad. I read when I was about 20 years old and it was, you know, hot. It was hot on the bestseller stuff, this and that. And Kiyosaki said one of the things where he was being interviewed by a journalist who was asking him, and you can find this in the book and get a better tale of it, but uh, fact check it a little bit. But he was getting interviewed by a journalist who, you know, was a touted journalist. She went through all the writings classes and probably got her master's and yada yada. And now she's working for some big paper interviewing um, this guy who's just writing a book. It's being consumed by everybody. And she's wanting to know about his writing. And I think it was about his writing training or something like that, as though that somehow mattered or was relevant to the fact that everyone was loving his book and buying tens of them, tens and twenties of them and giving them to friends and cousins. And she wanted to know about his writing. And he said, I didn't set out to be a best writing author. I set out to be a best selling author. Okay. And there was something where for me, I wanted my writing from the start, and this is food for thought on copywriting too, because if you just read the copywriting books and that's all you do, okay, um, I think you I think you really can make a couple hundred thousand minimum. I mean minimum, minimum, minimum. If you are even shitty at copywriting, you can make a couple hundred thousand a year um, via internet or via copywriting services or this or that, because it's such a dying skill. Kids don't even know how to read barely. I mean, um, let alone write. And so the scarcity on it allows people to charge a lot for copywriting, um, to be able to write something where people feel riveted enough to buy something. It's just a skill that pays so much money. Um, it's so much money, but what I didn't want to do was just fall in to, your everyday good copywriter who uses just the same old template, which is okay because the template works. So the same old template's been around for, you know, 70 plus years of copywriting history. And that template won't alter too much, although there is some variations. I wanted to have good writing on top of copywriting. And just one of the food for thought of that. Okay, so here's here's hopefully I'm explained a little bit. So um, my buddy who listens to a lot of these podcasts said, would you talk a little bit more about copywriting? So I'm kind of talking, talking about it right now. So here's some books that if you're interested in being a copywriter, and let me just press the, the reasons for being a copywriter. Um, and, and it's not being a copywriter. I mean, you can hire this thing out. Um, but again, if you're hiring a copywriter, um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to down that idea. Maybe it's good to hire a copywriter. Most of you as listeners are kind of one woman, one man enterprises, and then you expand from there. So most of you who listen to this aren't running 
companies with 500 and a thousand employees and this and that, and you, or have the spare cash or just throw $15,000 on a marketing experiment. You know, most, most of you aren't that. So you kind of have to be the jack of all trades and wear all your hats to start your business. And then you can outsource your, until you're eventually just in your creative genius. That that's kind of the perfect scenario. It's I'm probably on my eighth or ninth year of this, and I am just getting near the place where I am only operative in my areas of genius, not just competence, but unique, um, as Dan Sullivan says, unique ability. And so early on, you got to kind of do it all. And copywriting is such a shortcut because if you can sell an offer, you can move the world. If you can sell an offer without being humanly involved, and it's your own offer for a product or service or information product or something, and you can type those words and have people take that action, um, your influence can spread virally. It can ac actually super surge. The ideas you have can super surge all over, and it doesn't require full you on tour at all times. Okay, now I'm like, even what I love about the podcast model is that what I like about this particular model is uh, my kids can listen to this if they want to in 15 years. If they want to, if they don't, they don't need to. But I, I do like the copywriting model, or I do like the uh, podcast model because it's so uh, savable and it's so reusable. So I, I don't, I get a little cringy when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one things that evaporate on the spot because it's so unleveraged. So unless it's just chilling, friending, um, loving, these kind of like uh, personal social moments, I almost, I almost despise doing anything that doesn't take the form of a permanent form of, of a unit of work. Like it just kind of cringes me. So a part of this podcast is a bunch of guys would get around and start firing questions. I'd answer them and they'd say, oh my gosh. And then a handful would start taking notes and then say, oh man, we got to take these notes. And then I'd say it and then they're like, we got to, you got to make a course on this. And then it just exasperated me because I was like, okay, all that was, that was just shared for the last 45 minutes is now dead. Like it lives in the hearers, but for all practical purposes, that information's dead. So what I've started doing is taking more insights that friends and colleagues and whatever's have been throwing at me to put it in this form so it can live and it can be shared easier and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So moving into copywriting, maybe I've done a little bit of a selling of why it's, uh, of what it's distinct. It's not just writing. It's not writing for high fives. It's writing for $500. So someone reads it and decides to pay $500. One of the secrets of that is to, I'll give you a couple little uh, experience tips. One is to not, and this is one of the greatest tips of copywriting that I know of, and I, I can't say I've seen it written down. Now, I'll tell you another secret with copywriting is to blend like Stephen King's book on writing. I think it's just called On Writing, Stephen King on Writing. Is one of the best books on writing I've ever read. I've I've read through it. I've read over it. I've read around it, and he opens up talking about how writing is is pure telepathy, meaning you are able to jump inside the mind of somebody, and guide them telepathically without human presence. 
and he goes meta on on what writing is, and it's so powerful. Now he's doing it with the intent for page riveted page turners, right? Who will then buy the next one and buy the next one. But he doesn't take a real financial stance on it. He's just like, this is what great writing is. So I think it's really useful. Also a book called Simple and Direct, I think by Jacques Barzon. Um, Simple and Direct, I, I don't know how to say Jacques Barzon, but he was critic of the year and he's he's written um, 500 years of Western decline. He's a great historian and he is one of the most tight, brilliant, sharp writers. It almost makes when you read, when I read him, I feel like he's pulling out a magnificent, shining, sparkling sword and everyone else is, you know, using writing as like a little weak, you know, kazoo or something. Like his writing is so incredibly sharp. So I like reading about from writers who have, who just the craft itself, it's not about making money. And I like to balance that reading with books that are simply designed. Here's how people buy. Here's how to write and grow rich. So I like converging and kind of hybriding those two because it keeps more balance. Another thing in terms of reading uh, copywriting, I'm going to recommend a few books here in just a minute. But what's really important with copywriting and reading, it really reading as just a philosophy, is it's good to balance. Once you get into copywriting really good, that understanding will be able to bleed over into video sales letters and video sales letters actually perform so exquisite alongside written information. So we just started doing some marketing in a new company that's offline and we're doing, I'm doing direct mail, expensive direct mail that the cost to mail is anywhere. One lead costs anywhere from 20 to $50 to of, of just that's the expense of the engagement. And, you know, today we have a, yeah, it, it's paying thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but we've, we've stacked copywriting and video sales letters on top of each other with tangible direct mail mailers. And so I'm basically using all the uh, Padilla and the whole, like the whole palette of influence colors and putting them into one um, campaign. And I've never done that before at the level we're doing it. And the results have never been as good as they are. But all that said, it's good to balance, balance out. So if you get good at copywriting, here's my point. You get really good at copywriting. It'll translate over to video sales letters. And you'll realize that all copywriting is, is selling an offer. It's selling a future result so a, a, a viewer or a buyer, let me tell you what happens. Here's, here's the perfect kind of scenario. A semi-interested person in the subject that's already kind of pre-suaded to the, the book matter, or they're already kind of into this subject at some level. That helps grease the wheel a little bit. So you would have an ad or a friend would refer your product who's the referral is already kind of interested in that subject. So my Solomon CEO, like they're already kind of interested in the the scripture a little bit and they're they're interested in entrepreneurship, but they have a gap and they have some unresolved issues on wealth and and they have some internal conflict on what they think about making a ton of money versus, you know, is it does it work? Is it fair? Is it valuable? Is it ethical? Is it right? They've got some gaps there, but they, they lean towards believing 
that them thriving and their ideas getting into earth is a really good thing. So that's a person that's a little kind of a perfect for Solomon CEO. Now, when they get into that, oh my gosh. Okay. The reason I set this phone, I gotta learn that. Oh my gosh. This is just getting intense. I thought I shut that stuff off. Well, I put my, I put my um, timer on this thing. So I'm done at 30 minutes. We got six minutes left. But I didn't know how to shut off all my other things. So my phone's just blowing up. But anyway. Okay. So they come to it. And what happens is as they're reading it, they are being educated. They're being warmed to the credibility of, of the message. So they're being educated. So the early on in copywriting, the more aha moments where someone goes, oh, I didn't know that. Ooh, that's really interesting. Ah, for instance, um, we do a lot of journal. Like I, every day we, we move journals out of, out of our hands into our clients' hands. So we do journals with a bunch of our product lines. And so journaling, you know, I, I spend tens of thousands of dollars per year on purchasing journals. And then I make, you know, a million plus or whatever. Um, in part by selling journals, but I don't want people to just get a journal and say, oh, that's a pretty journal. I'm done with it. I want them to understand the value of the journal, right? And so early on, if I were to do a course on how to write a journal, which I think I have a course out there on how to write a journal, or I used to, we got to re we got to reboot that thing and sell it. Um, Jaden, if you're listening to this, but one of the things I say is in 1996, and you can fact check this, I'm going to be off a little bit, but in 1996, Bill Gates paid $30 million for 40 pages of Leonardo da Vinci's private journals and scribbles. What will your journal, what will your thoughts, what will your scribbles, what will your ideas be worth to future generations? If not financially to bigger, to, you know, the world at large, how about just inside the family, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren? To your kids, how precious will these journals become? And then I share another story about how my great grandma, she passed away when I was, you know, 12, 10, whatever. And she did a daily journal of the weather and what was going on. She lived next to a park and we would come over and have cookies. So I, I appear in her journal where it will say, uh, you know, it was 78 degrees today. It's June 16th. Uh, Mark came over after his t-ball practice at 10 a.m. and had oatmeal raisin cookie and a glass of orange juice and just that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not even like big stuff, but these journals are big deals to the family, Grandma, great grandma's journals. So I, I weave in these stories and by the end, so there's these kind of aha moments that are happening. There's education, there's little stories, but by the end, they really want that damn journal. And not only do they want it, they want to be a part of a community that journals and values history. It's like archiving the family history. So I, I magnify the meaning from, you know, oh, it's just a, a book. I mean, it's just scrapbooking, you know, or, oh, it's just, you know, some little teenage girl's swooning heart thoughts of a diary. And I kind of piecemeal a patch that it's it's a historical archive for future generations, right? 
and I lift and evolve that, and then I give an offer that they get this museum grade um, paper leather covered custom journal along with this course so that they can trace their learnings and their understandings, their visions for the future. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Maybe some of you are being enchanted to journaling right now just by the act of verbal copywriting. So we'll call it copy speaking. Well, anyway, we're running out of time and I haven't even mentioned a single book. Let me tell you one other thing before I don't mention these books. Another thing you want to do is once you get into copywriting, and you really you hold it and you understand that it is a it is a force it is a center of gravity it is a dispatch for money when you get good at that and you understand that and you hone in on it you'll find that it, it's kind of like a drug in that you can obsess on it because you just realize that by changing some words here or there your ads start popping your videos start selling your revenue skyrockets. I mean, it's very addicting to get into copywriting once you go down this path. What I recommend and what I did, but I don't think I did enough of, is you want to balance copywriting books with business growing books. Now, a couple good business growth books are Zero to Ten Million by Michael Masterson. Michael Masterson is one of my favorite authors. It's actually his pen name. I believe his, his real name is Mark Ford. But Michael Masterson is his pen name, and he has a book called Zero to Ten Million, and it's really how to start with zero and get to ten million. And I did it. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than I looked at it as an ingredient how-to guide, and I believed it, and, and I, I did it. I've done it a couple times. So, because what good is a bunch of money if you don't see it in the context of a big business plan? Now, another business growth book is... J. Abraham, pretty much anything and everything by J. Abraham. Now, the reason I recommend copywriting books more, I'd lean to start anyway on copywriting books more than business growth books, is because you won't have much business to grow with if you don't know how to sell your stuff. Okay. And copywriting, and here's the other thing even if you have an affiliate or an agent or a human selling force doing your work, the the best selling, and I got this, I think it was in Scientific Marketing by Claude Hopkins, was, no, it was Clement Stone. Clement, anything by Clement Stone is brilliant. He was the founder of Success Magazine years and years ago. But he said the real power of a sales force is, is a crew of people that lean on the tools. Basically, they have a selling tool. They look at the tool, and they read through the tool, and they let the tools work. They lean into the tools and not the person. And the, and the reason that's so important... Oh, is this done? Oh. <laughs> I'm out of here. Love you guys. See you next episode.